Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome or welcome back to Tales from the Heart, where I post episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now, we're listening to Deadly Valentine, book one of the Valentine Mysteries. This week is episode four, where we'll be going through chapters eight, nine, and ten as we continue to find out who offed Asa Worthington. If you're eager to follow along or maybe get ahead, you can download the ebook of Deadly Valentine for free at jennahart.com. Now, make sure that you don't miss any of the mystery or romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember, all the details and links that you might need are just a click away in the description. So, snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 8 Jack knew the minute she woke when her eyes latched onto him as he sat in her chaise chair. He resisted looking up. He knew that once he gave her his attention, she would start in with how she didn't need a nursemaid and ask him to leave. So he kept his eyes down on his computer, even though he didn't see a thing on the screen. After several moments, when she didn't say anything, curiosity got the best of him. He lifted his gaze to find her amber eyes studying him. He felt a punch of emotion the swell of it filling his chest. It spread, leaving him no choice but to smile at the way she brought feeling back to his life. What were you working on? She asked. Just seeing if I could learn anything about the documents on Ace's computer. He stood then and went to her. Her eyes widened a little as if she was nervous or afraid of him. The reaction bothered him more than a little. He sat on the coffee table instead of the couch as a compromise. Did you discover anything? Nothing that will keep me out of jail. She shifted so she could sit up, pulling her legs in, tucking them under her. Did you find anything interesting, at least? The baby's birth certificate says that the mother, Delia, was about 20 when she had the baby, which was about the same age as Asa at that time. And the birth certificate doesn't list a father. Tessa's brow furrowed as she considered his news. Do you think Asa was the father? Jack shrugged. That I don't know. It doesn't seem like the kind of secret Asa would be so eager to disclose. I know. I can't imagine how the information would adequately embarrass or humiliate anyone at the party. And it doesn't explain why it was in a folder with my information. I suppose it might embarrass the senator a little bit to have his son and his secretary involved in an affair and having a child. He's big on family values. It wouldn't be such a big deal today. And the woman and the baby are dead, so what's the prize in it for Asa? You're right. There had to have been more to it. I don't think we're going to figure it out tonight. Are you hungry? He shut down his laptop and set it on the coffee table next to the pile of Ace's documents he'd printed when he'd gone home. I'm a little thirsty. Jack smiled, pleased that she didn't insist he leave. Progress. I picked up some ginger ale on my way over. It's supposed to be ideal for the flu. He went to her kitchen. I got you some crackers, too. Why are you here? She asked when he'd returned with the drink and crackers. His smile dropped. Just when he thought she'd accepted that he was going to stay, she was challenging him again. To take care of you. Why is that so hard for you accept? I don't know. It's weird. I haven't seen you in years, and now you're holding my head over the toilet while I'm sick and serving me ginger ale. It's your fault we haven't seen each other in years, he said, unable to hide his irritation. He sat next to her on the couch and handed her the plate of crackers. She took one and bit as he set the plate on the coffee table. I needed a clean break. You've had your time, rebuilt your life. 
I think you can handle spending time with an old friend. He knew he sounded angry, but didn't care. It was time she knew what it had done to him when she'd left, when she'd ignored him. Sure. Her eyes were wide, and he'd wondered if he'd overdone it. He wanted to be allowed back in her life. Getting mad wasn't going to help his cause. Do you need anything else? He asked. No, thank you. Do you want to watch a movie? Sure. His eyes narrowed. Are you patronizing me? I can't win, can I? She tossed the remaining bit of her cracker on the plate. It skidded off the plate onto the coffee table. If I ask you to leave, you get mad. If I accept that you're going to stay, you get mad. What do you want? I want you to want me to stay. He hadn't wanted to blurt it out like that, but there it was. I don't want to want you to stay. No, kid. He stopped as he processed her words. You don't want to want me to stay. She turned away. Which means you do want me to stay. You just don't want to want me to stay. You're not making sense. He thought she was about to pout. Why does it bother you to see me? He said, leaning over to pick up the cracker and put it on the plate. I'm not here to ruin your new life. I can see you've built a good life for yourself. The three years have been good to you. They haven't been so good to me, Tess. I heard about your mom. I'm sorry. I'd wanted to call- So why didn't you- His voice was harsher than he'd wanted, but he couldn't contain the hurt he felt by her abandonment when he'd needed her most. She shook her head. I don't know. I don't have a good reason. He considered pressing her, but then decided to let it go. I'm sorry. She said again. I don't mean to be rude, but seeing you brings back memories I'd rather not think about. He saw her wince as she realized how she sounded. It was laughable, he realized now. He'd had such good memories of his time with her, but apparently hers were different. Well... Jack, that didn't come out right. I think that's exactly what you meant. He thought he should leave. This reunion was disintegrating faster than he could figure out how to keep it together. I have lots of regrets in my life, but not calling you when your mom died is at the top. With her words, the anger and hurt shifted. It surprised him how important it was that she'd cared about what he'd been through. He took her hand, brought it to his lips, and kissed it. Thank you. Her cheeks flushed. Her eyes widened in reaction to his gesture. It gave him hope that she wasn't as immune to him as she wanted to be. Taking a chance, he pressed his palm to her cheek, stroked it with the pad of his thumb. Her eyes turned wary, but her cheek settled into his palm. He wanted to take her in his arms, but feared it would ruin what little gain he made. So instead, he took her hand again in his and sat with her. Why did you kiss me? She asked. He was surprised by the question, and yet pleased that his kiss had stayed with her. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Do you go around kissing people whenever it seems like a good idea? Yes, it doesn't happen very often. But seeing you again has put me in a constant state of wanting to kiss. She gave a snort that let him know she was both embarrassed and not buying it. He couldn't understand why the idea that he wanted to kiss her was surprising to her. I was overwhelmed by emotion. Seeing you for the first time in years and then finding you passed out. I think I lost 20 years of my life finding you like that. Anyway, I wanted to kiss you and since I wasn't sure when I'd get another chance, I did. So you were overcome by a wave of emotion at having found me unconscious? You mean as opposed to kissing you because I'm attracted to you? Never mind. She tried to pull away from him. He held her hand tightly, not letting her retreat, but he didn't press the subject. So, do you want me to read to you? I see you've got the new J.D. Robb book. 
My mom liked those. No, thank you. Are you sure? I looked at where you stopped, and I think it's a good part. Eve and Rourke are either going to kick each other's asses or have sex. The color rose to Tessa's cheek. Probably both, but no. A movie, then? I'm sure I don't have anything you'd want to see. Are they anything like the music you listen to? She made a face at him. No movies, then. How about we just catch up? She gave him a faint smile. He latched onto it like a life preserver. Okay. He learned about her life in Jefferson Tavern, and in particular, her close relationship with the Showalters, including Daniel. He realized that Daniel wasn't just a small-town police detective with an eye on Tess, but that he and Tess had a history that went back even before Jack knew her. He learned about her struggles to build her practice and the volunteer work at Legal Aid. He'd tried not to be maudlin about his mother's death, but did confess that he'd lost himself for a time. He told her how he'd walked away from his business to care for his mother. He'd been fortunate to have good employees who picked up the slack and kept his empire going when he didn't give a damn about it. One thing I always admired about you was how positive you are. The glass is always half full and you forgive so quickly. I didn't recover so quickly then. But you did recover, and you don't seem different because of it. You aren't bitter or trying to keep the world away. Jack began to wonder if she was talking about herself and her recovery from betrayal and heartbreak three years earlier. He wouldn't have described her as bitter, but she had erected barriers to keep the world away. She had no trinkets from her past or present life. She kept Daniel at arm's length, even though he was probably as safe as she could get in terms of protecting her heart. And her severe reaction to their reunion could be in part to her fear that he'd hurt her again. The idea that she felt he could hurt her could only mean one thing. She still felt something for him. It gave him hope that he'd win her yet. Chapter 9 By Sunday morning, Tess had her appetite and her solitude back. The flu had been easier to eradicate than the two men who hovered over her, posturing for her attention. It was just her luck that when she'd given up on men, she'd have two falling over themselves to get to her. One of them she'd successfully been able to keep at a safe distance since her return to Jefferson Tavern. But the other, the one she'd carefully avoided over the last three years, he was a different matter. When Daniel suggested Jack was in love with her, she nearly choked. It was so ridiculous it didn't deserve a response. The problem was that Jack was an affable, endearing, caring guy. You couldn't help but like him. Then there was the fact that he was gorgeous. There wasn't a woman alive who wouldn't give up a lifetime of chocolate for just one night with him. Despite her commitment to celibacy, she knew she was one of those women. Normally it might not be a problem, she wasn't his type. But his behavior toward her since seeing him at Asa's was confusing. He was more volatile than she remembered. He bristled at her attempt to keep a professional distance. At the same time, he was more affectionate. The touches the way he would hold her hand and kiss her knuckles. Even thinking about it did all sorts of delicious things to her senses. But what did it mean? Determined to not let her hormones get the best of her, she put Jack off when he called to come see her again. Instead, she made plans to visit Daniel's mother, Helen. Tess arrived at the Worthington mansion, wishing she could make the visit in Helen's home instead. The house was uncomfortable even before it had become the scene of a crime. But Helen was helping her father, the senator, with arrangements for Asa's funeral, so she had to make her visit at the House of Horrors. Walter greeted her at the door and led her to the parlor. 
I'm sorry I didn't come see you sooner, Tess said, giving Helen a hug. Oh, nonsense, I heard you were ill. She took Tess's hand and with a light tug pulled her down to sit next to her. It was surreal to think that two days prior she was sitting in the same seat in a room filled with murder suspects. I know it must be hard for you to be here. I wanted to be here for you, Tess said. I appreciate that, Tess, I really do, she said with a sniff. Tess had always admired Helen Worthington Showalter ever since the first day of boarding school when Tess walked into her English class. Despite her modest career, no one could look at Helen and doubt that she came from money and breeding. It wasn't the air of wealth or expensive clothes that gave it away. She carried herself with confidence and moved through the world with a grace that Tess envied. Unlike the rest of the Worthingtons, Helen also possessed kindness and depth of character. In Helen, Tess found proof that you could come from a cool, uncaring family and somehow not lose your soul. She'd attached herself to Helen from that first day of school, and she felt grateful to Helen and Tom for their friendship. They'd given her the love and acceptance her own parents had kept from her. How are you holding up? Oh, I'm doing fine. She gave a small laugh even as she dabbed the corner of her eye with a handkerchief. I know so many people had trouble with him, including me, but I'll still miss him. Tess nodded. I should have been there that night. Helen said. I'm not sure it would have mattered. Tess put an arm around Helen. Helen's lips wobbled. He asked me to come, and I told him I had no intention of participating in whatever antics he was up to. I never understood why he took such pleasure in embarrassing people, exposing their weaknesses. It was like a sport for him. Did you know what he was planning? No, I doubt anyone did. That was part of the game for him. She blew her nose. Even so, I should have been there. My last words to him were said in anger. Tess gave her a squeeze. Your being there may not have changed that. Helen gave a small laugh. You're probably right. Tom said he was behaving like he always did. Did he tell you Lauren showed up? He did. That I may have enjoyed seeing. She let out a sob. Oh, listen to me. How awful to think about enjoying watching my murdered brother having it out with his ex-wife. It's not awful. Tom said you were in the library when it happened. Is that true? Yes. Walter entered the parlor carrying a tray with a teapot and small delicate cups. Ma'am, Agnes has made some tea. Would you like some? Oh, yes, Walter. That would be lovely. Walter set the tray on the coffee table in front of them and poured their cups. Helen turned back to Tess. It must be terrifying to realize how close you were to him, to a murderer. I get chills just thinking about you being in the next room, just a few feet away. I try not to think about that part, though I've been trying to remember what I may have heard. Heard? You heard him being murdered? No, I don't know. I heard people talking, but I didn't hear anything that sounded like murder. He didn't cry out. Or at least I didn't hear that. Tess took the cup of hot tea Walter was handing her. She hoped it would rid the chill that slid up her spine. I can't imagine how frightening that was. I just wish I could remember something. I heard talking. Then the next thing I remember is walking in and seeing him. And you didn't hear anything, Walter? Helen asked, taking her cup of tea. Just what I told the police, ma'am. I heard Mr. Worthington and Mr. Valentine arguing. I didn't hear anything when I was attending to Miss Madison. Will there be anything else? No, thank you, Walter. Walter nodded, then left them. 
Mr. Valentine, who is he? Why was he there? Tess shifted. How could she explain Jack to Helen? That she was representing him during the investigation into Asa's death? He was a guest of Asa's, Daniel said from the doorway. Helen rose and went to him, giving him a hug. Are you okay? I'm hanging in there. Tess was kind enough to stop by. Daniel remained standing as his mother returned to her seat. So why did Asa invite this Valentine man to the house? No one knows, Daniel said. What does he say? Tess looked uncomfortably to Daniel as the conversation entered territory that put her at odds with him and his family. Asa told him it was a business meeting. Daniel answered his mother. Business meeting. Helen shook her head. Is he going to be arrested? Walter heard them fighting. We can't arrest people for arguing, but he is a person of interest. His eyes caught Tess's. Helen, I think maybe I should go, Tess said, rising. Go, you just got here. I know, but I'm still a little worn out from the flu. Oh, yes, of course. Can I send you home with something? Soup, maybe? Agnes makes wonderful soup. Tess smiled. Having Helen mother her did more to help than soup ever could. No, thank you. And you let me know if you need anything. Helen stood, hugged Tess. Will you be over tomorrow for dinner? You're still planning dinner. Tess asked about the weekly Monday night dinner she had with Helen and Tom. Oh, yes. Now more than ever, family needs to be together, don't you think? Life is so fragile. Tess nodded. I wouldn't miss it. I'll walk her out, Daniel said as Tess made her way towards the foyer. He stopped her before she head out the door. Thank you for coming by. It means a lot to her. I'm just sorry I wasn't able to be here sooner. She understands. It's nice to see the color back in your face. They stood by the door, but Daniel made no attempt to open it. Tess, you're an important part of the family. She smiled. But... He started and Tess's smile faltered. You can't talk to Mom or any of us about Asa's murder. What? It's a conflict of interest. Not legally, maybe. But surely you can see how awkward it is. You're representing the man that may have killed him. We were just having a conversation. I know. But your relationship with Valentine changes things. She knew what he was saying was true but she also believed they could keep professional and private matters separate. You didn't tell her you were representing him. She could have told you something that you could then use against us. Against you? Shocked that he'd think she'd do such a thing rocked her system. I would never use anything against you. How could you not? You have a legal responsibility to him. If anyone in the family said something you could use to help him, you'd have to use it. She didn't need a reminder about her fiduciary responsibility but she was hurt that he'd think she'd use his family to help her career. Just like I'm off the case because of conflict of interest, maybe you need to be off the case too. Anger stirred deep in her gut. What? I can't be on the case because it involves my family. Neither should you. Not if you're going to be a part of this family. Hurt mixed with her anger. His parents were the closest thing she had to a family. He knew that. You're making me choose between my job and your family? No. I'm asking you to choose between Jack and the people who love you. I know that sounds harsh, but you left him, presumably for a good reason. You came here, to your home. I don't see why this would be a difficult decision. To Tess, though, this wasn't a simple question of loyalty. She'd made a promise to herself when she left Washington that she wouldn't ever let a man get in the way of her career. Now Daniel was doing just that. I see. 
So I don't represent Jack, and we can all go back to being one big happy family? His jaw tightened. Don't make me out to be the bad guy here. You know what I'm saying is true. If you represent him, it could take years. And during that time, we'd never be able to trust that what was said wouldn't be used in his defense. You're talking like he's been arrested. I don't think he did it. In fact, I'm certain he didn't, so I won't need to defend him or use family secrets to do it. Don't be naive, Tess. Even if he's not arrested, he's a man of interest. He'll be questioned again, and you'll be there to help him. Daniel, you can't ask me to do this. Something like panic began to bubble up. His family was important to her, but so was her job. I have to protect my family. And where will it stop? What if old man Carter wants to contest the survey lines that butt up against the Worthington's property? Will you tell me I can't represent him? That's different. Is it? You're telling me who I can and can't do business with. I've already had to start over because a man was able to dictate my career. I won't let that happen again. She grabbed the handle, jerking the door open. She only made it two steps when Daniel's hand stopped her. Tess, wait. She turned to him and waited. I don't want to dictate your business. This situation is different. I need the business, Daniel. And I'm not so shallow that I would use information about people I care about to hurt them. I know you wouldn't on purpose. Why can't we just agree to not talk about the case? He let out a deep breath. I don't see how that can happen. She started to turn away. But... He said, pulling her back. We can try. If his business is important to you, then we'll try to make it work. His hand cupped her face. His thumb stroked her cheek. It was a gesture Jack had done the evening before that made her skin come alive, like he'd woken dormant nerves. With Daniel, it was pleasant, but that was it. It made her realize that he was making a concession because of his feelings for her. It didn't feel right to accept his terms, knowing she would never be able to return his feelings. Daniel. She stepped away from his touch. I can't. I know where you stand, Tess he said, irritation lacing his tone. I'm compromising because I care for you, but it's not a ploy or a bribe. She nodded. Okay. But if you're going to worry about how a man might impact your career, you might want to add Jack into the mix. His business could help or hurt your career, depending on how this investigation goes. Chapter 10 Standing outside the police station in the dark, bitter cold was not how Tess wanted to end her weekend. She should be reviewing her schedule for tomorrow, and maybe reading the latest mystery her book club sent. Instead, her settled, quiet life had been turned upside down. She had one man who was bound and determined to be back in her life, and another telling her that doing so could ruin the relationships she already had. She'd considered Daniel's argument, even going so far as to make a list of defense attorneys she knew in D.C. to refer Jack to. The Jack she remembered was a reasonable guy. She suspected if he knew the difficult situation her representing him put her in, he'd be okay with finding a new lawyer. But she didn't think he'd go away entirely. She didn't know his intentions, but it was clear that he wanted to be in her life again. And despite her pledge to live man-free, she found herself wanting to explore that option, even though she knew that would continue to cause a problem for Daniel. So she stood in the cold waiting for Jack to show up for another round of questions by the detective assigned to the case. He pulled up in a dark sedan, parking across the street from the police station. I wonder what it means that there is an open space for me in front of the police station, he said good-naturedly. What happened to the sports car? she asked. 
The Camry's better on the ice. Not quite the car you'd expect a guy like you to have. He grinned. Ruins the image, I know. But Cora has a hard time getting in and out of the sports car. Cora? I don't think you met her before, but I'm sure I've mentioned her. She's a friend of the family. A surrogate grandmother of sorts. At least she likes to think so. She's the one you had to confiscate a weapon from? He laughed. Yes, among other things. She's down here with me attending a yoga retreat at the university. Yoga retreat? I hope it brings her some inner peace. I could use it. He draped an arm around her shoulder. So, how much trouble am I in? How could he be so calm and relaxed? She wondered. It was one of the things she'd admired about him when she originally met him. While he could be intense or driven, most of the time he went through life with a lazy grin and glass-half-full attitude. Unless they have something new, you're not in any more trouble than you were yesterday. She looked up at him to make sure he was looking at her. Or maybe they found the laptop. Either way, don't answer any questions unless I give you the okay. Why am I here if there's nothing new? They've reassigned the case, and Detective Johnson wants to talk to you himself. The fact that he wants to do it here suggests you're the top guy on the list. He's going to try and make you slip up. So when you do talk, make sure you tell them the same thing you told Daniel and Sam. You mean tell the truth? Tess saw the irritation in his eyes. People can mess up the truth too, Jack. If you forget a detail that was mentioned before, they'll use it to try and break your story. He nodded. I mean it, Jack. Not a word. I got it. Not a word. They checked in at the information window, and a uniformed officer brought them to an interrogation room. The police station was one of the oldest buildings in town, but on the inside, its 1970s renovation with the puke-green walls ruined whatever architectural charm it once had. When we're done here, Jack said as they sat waiting for the detective. How about dinner? Tess was surprised at how fast Jack could let his annoyance go. He was like a duck, the way he could let minor inconveniences like a murder investigation roll off of him. His tone and his expression belied the fact that they were in a police station where he was about to be interrogated. She worried that he was overly confident, even arrogant. He wasn't under arrest, yet. But the situation was serious. We're working here, Jack. Stay focused. The door opened and a plainclothed detective walked in. Thank you for coming in, Miss Madison, Mr. Valentine. I'm Detective Johnson. Mr. Valentine has already given two statements to two different detectives. Is there something new? Tess asked. I like to ask my own questions, gather my own impressions. He sat down across from them and opened a file. I know this will be redundant, Mr. Valentine, but could you please go over again your movements the night of the murder? Jack looked to Tess. Is there something you want to know specifically? She asked, hoping to avoid having Jack give a narrative that could too easily differ from his original statement. Your statement indicates that after dinner you followed Mr. Worthington to his office. Is that correct? Tess nodded to Jack. Yes. What did the two of you talk about? I believe that is covered in his statement. Tess reminded the detective. Perhaps you could have Mr. Valentine read the statement and he can verify its accuracy. Detective Johnson ignored her comment. You were overheard arguing with Mr. Worthington. What was that about? With a nod from Tess, Jack answered. It was a business discussion. The interview went on with Detective Johnson asking questions, and Tess working to ensure Jack didn't say anything not already shared in the statement. The interview revealed to Tess that the police didn't have anything new, nor had they found the missing laptop. 
At the same time, it confirmed that the focus was on Jack as Asa's killer. Did you take Mr. Worthington's computer? Detective Johnson asked. No. But you stole information off of it. Tess put a hand on Jack's knee. If it weren't for Mr. Valentine, you wouldn't have known about the missing computer. Not necessarily. We'd have looked into email correspondence and known that an email was sent to Mr. Valentine around the time of Mr. Worthington's murder. Which would prove nothing, Tess said. In fact, if Mr. Valentine had taken the computer, he'd have been better off not to say anything. The email could have just as easily been sent by Mr. Worthington as your trace of the email would have shown Mr. Worthington was still alive when it was sent. Tess wasn't so sure that was true. Forensic science was good, but she wasn't sure it would have been able to pinpoint Asa's murder to a time that was a few minutes after the email's date and timestamp. Except the fingerprints. Fingerprints you don't actually have, she said. His fingerprints are on the glass. You mean the glass he used to douse the fire? I wonder who else's prints were on the glass. Detective Johnson didn't flinch, but neither did he respond, giving Tess the impression that another set of prints were on the glass. Detective Johnson, Mr. Valentine has been over this before. Do you have anything new to ask? Look, Mr. Valentine. Detective Johnson directed his cool, steel eyes on Jack. There's a lot here that looks bad for you. You fought with the deceased minutes before he was found dead. You stole information off of his computer, a computer that is conveniently missing. But there is no evidence, Tess pointed out. You don't have his prints on the murder weapon. You don't have the computer in question. You don't have a motive. In fact, there is more motive in Mr. Worthington's family. He embarrassed and belittled his son in a room full of guests and nearly manhandled his ex-wife out of the house. But they both have alibis. Detective Johnson cut in. Philip was with his wife, and the ex-Mrs. Worthington was getting a speeding ticket on Marshall Street. Tess considered challenging Philip and Shelby's alibi, but determined it wasn't the time. The point is, you don't have enough to arrest Mr. Valentine. Otherwise, you would have done so already. Do you have something new you'd like to ask? Or are you going to continue to rehash a statement that Mr. Valentine has given twice and not wavered on? Who is Delia Jackson? Detective Johnson pressed on. I don't know any more than what the article says. She worked for Senator Worthington and was killed along with her baby in a fire over 30 years ago. An article about her is in the file you stole from Mr. Worthington's computer. Jack shrugged. I don't know her. How could I? She died when I was an infant. You have no idea why the article about her death would be filed with your information. No. It could have been a mistake on Mr. Worthington's part, Tess said. He must have had many files on people. It was probably meant for one of them. We don't know that, of course, because the computer is missing, Detective Johnson said. Tess stopped herself from rolling her eyes. She understood his suspicion. Detective Johnson sat back, studied Jack, and then Tess. You're free to go, but I'd like you to stay in town. Mr. Valentine has business that takes him to Washington, Tess said. Stay available. That wasn't so bad, Jack said once they'd left the station. It was bad enough. What do you mean? Tess rubbed her gloved hands together. It's freezing. Let's get some coffee. His eyes lit up. How about dinner? We're still working. How about coffee? How about ice cream? There's a place just up the street. It's 10 degrees and you want ice cream? Ice cream is 32 degrees. It will warm us up. Come on. I'll buy you ooey-gooey chocolate chunky decadence. She did like chocolate. Two scoops? Two scoops. He agreed, slinging his arm around her shoulders and guiding her up the street.
Tess sat in the ice creamery with a double scoop of chocolatey ice cream on a cone. The place was empty except for Mr. Sorensen, the owner, who was busy wiping off the counter. Tess figured that everyone else was having a hot chocolate in the java joint across the street. The ice cream was cold, but Tess had to admit it was good. I can't believe I let you talk me into this. Must be disconcerting to be out-talked considering you're a lawyer. She looked up at him over her ice cream. It would be different if we were in court. After what I saw today, I don't doubt it. But now I know where you are vulnerable. Tess shivered, not from the cold ice cream, but from his use of the word vulnerable. She didn't like being vulnerable. She hated even more that he was right. Somehow with him, she was very much at risk. The way to your heart is through chocolate. He grinned and then bit into his own ice cream. Chocolate was her Achilles heel, but she wasn't about to let it become the way to her heart. Maybe we can get to the business at hand, she said. So what did you see that I missed in that interview? It's not something you missed. They didn't have anything new except that Lauren didn't do it. Getting a ticket is a pretty good alibi, but there is no doubt that you're at the top of the list. That I figured out yesterday. Do you think I'm the only one they're looking at? Officially, no. She lapped up a drip of ice cream before it could land on her hand. But unofficially, I think they're focused on you and only you. There is strong circumstantial evidence. They just need proof to back it up. There is no proof. I didn't do it. Jack, proof comes in all forms. Innocent people go to jail all the time. Again, there was that flash of heat that came to his eyes when irritated. So what do I do? I'm not going to sit around while they take evidence and skew it to make me a murderer. I think you should hire a private investigator. A private investigator? I think the best way to get the attention off of you is to offer up more compelling information on someone else. And the only way that will come to light is if someone else is looking into it. More compelling than the son and the daughter-in-law lied? He ignored the drip of his ice cream that fell on the table. That is compelling, but it has to be proven. She reached over towards him with her napkin. You're dripping. He let her clean up his mess, watching her face as she did so. He was studying her, she realized. She didn't like it. What was he seeing? Talk about feeling vulnerable. I didn't imagine that when I ran into you again that I'd be embroiled in a murder mystery. Did you? She decided not to tell him again that she hadn't imagined ever meeting him again. No. Perhaps we could spend a few minutes talking about something other than Asa and his family. Sure. What do you want to talk about? Is there anyone besides Deputy Dan who is going to beat me up for kissing you? Her jaw dropped. How could he move so quickly from talking about murder to kissing? Me, maybe. If it's only you, I think it's a risk worth taking. Tess went on high alert. Sure, she was attracted to him. She even considered indulging that attraction. But she didn't think she'd have the opportunity. He wasn't really interested in her, was he? Now that the opportunity was staring at her with his gorgeous green-blue eyes, she realized that she wasn't brave enough to indulge in whatever he offered. Jack laughed. Don't look so panicked. I'm not so bad at it. I'm sure you aren't, but I'm not in the market for a relationship. Now that's a waste. A waste? You're smart, confident, beautiful. That may be, but as I said earlier, I'm not interested, she said, despite the fact that the tingling in her body suggested otherwise. Oh, you're interested, all right. Your arrogance is showing. She took a bite of ice cream to cool the heat growing inside her. He grinned. It makes me irresistible. It makes you annoying. Laughing, Jack reached across the small table to push a loose curl out of her face. 
That too. Do you always wear it up? Huh? Your hair? Do you always wear it up? Yes, why? Reaching around her, he pulled the pins from her hair. What are you doing? I want to see it down. I think it will be prettier down. He ran his fingers through her hair, sending a delectable shiver through her. She bit her lip to keep from sighing. Jack. She pushed his hand away and then used her own fingers to brush through and manage the curls he'd set free. I was right. It's prettier down. He reached across again to play with a stray curl, capturing her gaze with his. You're beautiful. I thought we agreed that you wouldn't practice your charms on me. This is no practice, he said, his voice turning from playful and amused to serious, intent. Placing his hand on the nape of her neck, he pulled her to him. With his free hand, he pulled her chair closer to his. She let out a small yelp as her chair jerked towards him. Taking advantage, he let his tongue explore her open mouth. Her brain told her to push him away, but her hormones had other ideas. She tilted her head, letting him take the kiss deeper. What could one kiss hurt after all? She broke her own rule and let the kiss take over, giving in to the thrill of him. Even as her ice cream dropped to the floor, the kiss went on and on. She was oblivious of their surroundings. He was the only thing in her mind. He wasn't wrong when he said he was pretty good at kissing. He tasted like chocolate and sin. Even a strong woman like Tess couldn't overcome the heady temptation of such a combination. She returned his kiss, lacing her fingers through his hair and pulling him closer. She heard him groan and his hand slipped to her waist, pulling until she was nearly on his lap. That was when her brain finally regained control, and she jerked away from him. That had been way more than a little kiss. Too much more. Tess. Jack dropped his brow to hers. She reassembled her senses, rebuilt the wall that had for three years kept her heart safe. She pulled completely away, moving her chair back to its starting position. I'm sorry. I can't do this. She grabbed a napkin to clean up the spilled ice cream. Leave it. His voice was dark, rough. I can't leave a mess like this. I said leave it. He let out a frustrated sigh. How can you do that? I feel like I just had a life-altering experience and you're acting like it was nothing. It was just a kiss, Jack. She saw hurt and irritation in his eyes. That was more than just a kiss. We haven't seen each other in a long time. It's only been a few days. It can't possibly be more. He stared at her as if she had grown a horn on her head. Then he rolled his shoulders and stood. I need to go. Cora is expecting me home soon. I can walk you to your car. It's parked on Jefferson. I can get there on my own, she said, surprised at the dismissing tone in his voice. He gave a quick shake of his head she took to mean, have it your way. Without another word, he left. Tess cleaned up the ice cream mess made by Jack's devastating kiss. It had so immobilized her that she dropped her guard, as well as her ice cream. It would have been so easy to give in to him, to let him use those magnificent lips on her let his large, warm hands caress her. But she couldn't do it. She couldn't put herself in a vulnerable position. Still, it was mean to tell him his kiss meant nothing. The truth was it had knocked her socks off. It wasn't easy to lie to him, but it would have been too easy to get lost in him. And then what? He'd sow his oats until another more exciting woman came along. And surely one would. He lived in northern Virginia, socialized with the elite of D.C., Women draped themselves all over him, she was sure. 
they'd be prettier and more dedicated to ensuring his happiness. Tess had her career, a career that was once derailed by a man. She wasn't going to let that happen again. Tess shook off the mixed feelings. She'd hurt him, but it had been the right thing in the long run. She'd ended it before it started, and now they could focus on business and she could maintain her safe, ordered life. Slipping on her coat and picking up her purse, she threw her napkins in the trash and exited the ice cream shop. She turned right, heading towards Jefferson Street, where she'd parked her car. Any other time of year, the streets would be full of people enjoying the ambiance and activities offered in the historic district. But the cold and early darkness of winter kept most people away. The streetlights reflected off the piles of snow still bordering the streets from a storm the previous week. As she reached the corner, she navigated around the snowbank to the previous week. As she reached the corner, she navigated around the snowbank to cross the street. To save time and get out of the cold faster, she took a diagonal route across the street. She was in the middle of the road when she heard the car sliding around the corner as it turned onto Jefferson Street. It righted without slowing down and made its way up the street straight towards her. Adrenaline kicked in as she watched the car barrel down on her. She turned, tried to run, but lost her footing, slipping and nearly falling. Finally, she found traction and took off towards the sidewalk. It was just like in her dreams. The feet were running, the heart was pounding, but the body wasn't moving fast enough. She heard someone yell, Look out! But she wasn't about to look. She didn't have to. She swore she could feel the car moving closer and closer. If it were an animal, she'd have felt its breath on her heels. The berm of snow drew close on her heels. The berm of snow drew closer. She willed her feet to move faster. She closed her eyes and prayed for the best as she dived over the snow barrier. She landed hard on her shoulder, her temple hitting the icy pavement. Stars flashed in her eyes, disorienting her. But the sound of metal on hard, icy snow had her rolling on the sidewalk until she literally hit the brick wall of the building. Curling up in a ball, she hoped the car wouldn't make it over the snowbank and crush her. She waited for what felt like an eternity pressed against the building. Are you all right? Tess looked up to the worried faces of a man and woman. They looked as terrified as she felt. Her head throbbed and her heart beat frantically in her chest. But she was alive. Yes. She looked up the street in time to see the car turn onto Washington Street. It hadn't slowed down. It hadn't even had its lights on. Stupid driver, the woman said. I've called 911, the man said. He pulled off his coat and put it around Tess. She let him help her up, wobbled a bit, and then steadied herself by leaning against the brick building. She touched her hand to her temple and could feel the warm ooze of blood. She touched her hand to her temple and could feel the warm ooze of blood. She couldn't decide what hurt more, her head or her shoulder. Are you sure you're okay? The lady asked. Yes, I think so. She could hear sirens blaring as they made their way to her. Uh, to her. Good thing this snowbank was here, the woman said. That guy could have killed you. Killed you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode from Tales from the Heart. I hope you enjoyed it and that you will be back to find out what happens next. Now, to make sure you don't miss any episodes, hit the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are posted. 
And don't forget, you can get the ebook of Deadly Valentine for free through my website over at jennahart.com. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.